A Boy Who Cried Wolf, Aesop's Fable. If you haven't heard this story, which I'm sure every one of you has, it's about a shepherd boy who was bored and lonely, which is never a good combination for a young boy. And to amuse himself, he took a great breath and cried, Wolf, wolf, a wolf is chasing my sheep. And the behest of the villagers, they ran out to help him, to chase off the wolf and to save his sheep. And when they arrived, there was no wolf, and the boy laughed at them. The villager said to the boy, boy, don't cry wolf when there is no wolf. Later, the boy cried out again, wolf, wolf, the wolf are attacking my sheep. And the villagers came, and they helped him. And he laughed at them. And they said to him, boy, don't cry wolf if there is no wolf. Then he watched the villagers run down the hill Again, And later when he saw a real wolf prowling around his flock, he called to them and said, wolf, wolf, and nobody came. And I don't know if you remember how the story ends, but later, as sunset came, everyone was wondering where that boy went because he hadn't returned to the village. And when they went to find him, they found that all of his sheep had scattered. And he said to them, there really was a wolf. And when I cried wolf, you did not come. And there was an old man who came to comfort the boy and said, we'll help you look for your lost sheep in the morning. But nobody believes a liar, even when he's telling the truth. The shepherd boy knowingly told the people a lie. He held up the lie as the truth. Until they figured out he was lying, they no longer believed in his truth. But his truthfulness came into question. It's always interesting to me who we believe when we say that we believe the truth. Or, maybe more correctly, who we don't believe when people make claims of truth. Some of us take truth Readily. Just the other day, John Wilson told me that he shot a hog. I believed him because John Wilson is a believable person. I didn't ask, where was it? What type of ammunition did you use? What did you do with it? I didn't verify all the evidence that he proceeded. He told me he shot a hog, and so I believed him. Children fall into this category, right? Our little children believe their parents from a very young age. If we tell them something, they will believe it. And then they get older, and then they start asking the questions, well, what if my parents really don't know all the answers? And then they become a teenager, and they just assume, my parents don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) And then there's some of us who take truth to another level, and we question everything. We question everything. Everybody, And sometimes this can even develop into conspiracy theories. People who don't believe that any, what anything says. They truly believe in the sinister, the sinister things that people say about power struggle in all events. And some of us are somewhere in the middle. And sometimes I always try to consider... 
is who are we listening to when we say we believe in the truth? And where do we run to when we try to seek truth? As a commentary on our culture's current temperature and accepting truth, there is a book written called The Heresy of Orthodoxy. And its authors are Andreas Kossenberger and Michael Kruger. And this is what they said. All truth, including morality, has become perspectival and subjective, a matter of nothing but personal preference and taste. In such a world, like the days of the judges, everyone does what is right in his, own, his or her own eyes. But in, unlike the days of the judges, this is not meant as an indictment, but a celebration of the ultimate expression of what truth has come to enlightened humanity. This truth that our world claims to hide, this truth that the world completely denies, is the one truth that the church stands for. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We claim to have an objective truth. That God is holy and he finds sinners as guilty before him and worthy of condemnation for their sins. Unless one responds by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, as our great high priest, took the sins of the world upon himself as a propitiation. Bringing about God's change in his stance towards us. This is the truth that our, our culture wants nothing of. Because they deny original sin. They deny that we are inherently and by our nature children of wrath. They do not believe that men and women are born equal in the sight of God as sinners. They believe men and women are born equal but as good agents. And this is the heart of the world that John has been teaching us about the very beginning. This is the world, the world that denies the truth of Jesus Christ, when in fact he is the truth, the one true objective truth. And this is what John has tried to establish throughout his entire gospel. John has illustrated what Jesus has been teaching. To inherit eternal life, you may, must comprehend this truth. His name is Jesus. For Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This is either true or this is not true. And John has said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the embodiment. Jesus was God's self-revelation of what truth looks like. He said to Pilate, For this purpose I was born, the purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness about the truth. It was for the truth that he prayed for his disciples. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And this is what he promised his disciples. 
when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all other truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whoever he, whoever, and whoever hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And this is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel, John's gospel, is a faithful witness to truth. A faithful witness that the Son of God came to redeem his people, sent by the Father, promised the Spirit. And John has brought us along, along this narrative, and shown us all along the way what truth looks like. Do you know what truth looks like? This is the Sunday school answer. His name is Jesus. This is what truth looks like. What honesty looks like. What good testimony looks like. It's the gospel of Jesus. And this is what John does at the end of his gospel. In verse 24, this is what he says. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. It's like a campaign commercial. At the very end, John comes and says, I approve this message. And what's so incredible is that this story is not about John. This story is about Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but Whenever we hear of John in this story, he always refers to himself under pseudonym as the disciple who Jesus loved or the other disciple. And he's mentioned over six times throughout the gospel. In John 13, 18, 19, 20, 21, twice in 21. And he doesn't do this as self-defamating or through arrogance, but he does this because he wants to focus us on Jesus. He's been bearing witness about what he truly saw. He was a disciple who put his head on the chest of Jesus on the night he was betrayed. He was the disciple who, knowing the great high priest, was able to walk in to hear the trial of Jesus, and to stand at the foot of the cross. He was the disciple that Jesus entrusted his mother to. He was one of the two disciples that Mary went and told that Jesus was gone from the tomb. He was one of the disciples that was in the locked room when the resurrected Jesus appeared. If we were to believe anybody about the truthfulness of Jesus Christ, John has made his case. You should listen to me. And I'm going to tell you about Jesus. This is the tradition that has been handed down. This is the tradition that Paul speaks about when he says in Galatians 1.9, As you have said before, so I, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one which you have received, let him be accursed. John is establishing his apostolic authority. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, he has been set apart to tell the story of Jesus. Now, what does this mean? 
It means if you hear a different story, something other than what the gospel proclaims, it is a lie. Because there is one objective truth, and his name is Jesus. We believe Matthew and John were both part of the twelve. We believe that Mark was a disciple of Peter, that Luke was a disciple of Paul. And through the natural outworking of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel, they wrote down these truths to shape the church of Jesus Christ, to tell the world of the good news of what God has done in his life. This is exactly what happens in 1 Corinthians 11. When Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, what does he do? He quotes the words of Jesus. Because the disciples aren't about themselves, they're about pointing people to Jesus. They're about telling the people the words that Jesus said. And then this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone. This is what Christ gives his church. Apostles like John. Apostles like Peter and Paul. Eyewitnesses of factual events that have happened in history. And here in John 21, we see John walking along the beach behind Jesus and Peter. And Peter, after what he had just learned about his life, his life that will end in a crucifixion, this is what we talked about last week, turns around and notices John and asks Jesus, what about him? What about his life? And this is what we hear Jesus say. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now that seems strange, right? What is Jesus talking about? But Jesus is setting up his disciples as he sees fit for their different gifts. Last week we said Peter is a clear leader of the disciples. Everything that Peter does, all the other disciples do. And Peter wants to know, well, well what about this guy? What about this disciple that you love? What about him? And Jesus says, he will do what I will him to do. You, Peter, you follow me. I had a seminary professor who changed my life, who changed my vocation. I went to seminary always hoping to pursue a PhD so I could be a college professor, teaching, teaching the word. But he looked at me one day after we had had a conversation, after we, I was helping him um, with this project he was working on, and he looked me in the eye and he said, Tyler, God's the one that gives the gifts. I was like, yep, you're right. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and he said, Tyler, God gives the gifts. He said, Tyler, you're not set to do a PhD. You could do it, but that is not how God has gifted you. You need to love Christ's sheep. 
This is very similar to the message that Jesus gives Peter. Follow me and feed my sheep. And yet right alongside that we have John. John who wrote this eyewitness testimony. Peter didn't write an eyewitness testimony. These disciples have so different gifts, but Christ needs them both to proclaim his truth. What this text reveals is that according to the will of Jesus, he has given each of his disciples, not just his 12 apostles, he has given each of his disciples a unique calling and gifts to support the truthfulness of the gospel. And this is what I'm telling you this morning. This church needs your gifts. But there's something more important than that. This church needs you. As Paul taught the church in Ephesus, what does Christ give the church? Well, he gives the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Guess what? That's not a list of gifts. That's a list of people with gifts. And this is how Jesus has organized his church. John, an apostle, has written about the truth. If we are disciples of Jesus, this is where we go to hear the truth. And this is the truth that we each proclaim through the different gifts that God has given us. I'm not an apostle. I'm not an eyewitness of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If anyone claims to be an apostle, be very wary of the truth. Now, there are some churches in, in their history that they claim to be apostles. And if they do that in a way of saying, we follow in the line of the teaching of the apostles, and therefore we are apostles, I'm okay with that. Because that is the truth that we hold. The truth of Jesus that is handed down to us from the apostles. Given through his authoritative word, which they have written. But if that apostle says anything other than the words that I have been given, I now give to you. Please run away. I'm going to make a personal appeal real quick. As a pastor, I believe I believed in the ordained ministry of the word and sacraments. It was a very sacred calling. I believe that, like Peter, I have been called, and your elders have been called, to feed God's people his word. And you have called me to do this. This, this, this is my job. Preparing each Lord's Day to provide you with Christ himself. I am not Peter. But I hand to you the truth that Peter proclaimed, the truth 
that John proclaimed. What I do every week is to prepare my own heart and my whole life to give you Christ. And I need your prayers. I need you to pray for me. Because every week I struggle in that little, I'm going to call it a closet with a desk in it. <laughs> I struggle with the word. I struggle with how the word convicts my heart. And I sit there every single week saying, I am not worthy to proclaim this. But if you remember what Jesus said to Peter last week, you aren't my sheep. You're Christ's sheep. Your call is not to follow me or to follow the session of this church. Your call is to follow Jesus. I'm not here to give you a 10-step process of how to make your life better. I'm here so that you might follow Jesus. Please pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for my wife who has to put up with me every single day. She usually gets the baggage of everything that's left over at the end of the day. Pray for my pride and my arrogance. Pray that I might come to the word humbly. And pray that I never make my ministry about me, but I make it about Christ. Because this is also what you need. Every week, you need somebody reminding you, you need Christ, for he is the only truth of God. You need Christ because he's the only entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And you need Christ because he's so extravagant in his love and his grace that he gave his life for you. This is the truth that John is proclaiming to the church, to us this morning. Do you see the truth? Do you see how much God loves you? Look to Jesus. And I pray that that's my message every single Sunday. Look to Jesus. And this is what the apostles test to. The word of Christ, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day he rose again for the salvation of his people. And as you pray for me, I will pray for you. Because he, is, he has given all of you gifts. And here's what's hard. He calls all of you to follow him with your gifts. And you know what a life of following Jesus looks like? 
denying ourselves and picking up our cross. Denying our sin. Walking by faith and abiding in his word. If you were to ask yourself this morning, how can I follow Jesus? My only answer is for you to die to your sin every day. Do you know what the cross actually is? It's a tool of destruction. This, this cross seems nice. We've, we've, we've dampened the picture of the cross as something timely and nice, something that we look at to cherish our hearts. This was a tool of destruction. Denying ourselves doesn't always mean we don't do bad things. Sometimes it means we give up good things for better things. Denying ourselves consists of doing things for Christ and his church. Because I promise you there will always be something better that you can do with your time. It's giving something up for the sake of the kingdom and for the gospel. And guess what? It might be calling it might be a calling to the mission field. It might be a call into ministry. It also might be a call to be faithful at work. to faithfully raise your children in a Christian home that loves the word of God and abides in his truth. At the youth conference at CPYC this last weekend, the pastor there asked the students, and this, I wrote it down because it fit perfectly what I was hoping to say this morning. Do you know how to increase this faith? Do you know how to increase your ability to follow after Jesus, he said, go to church. Go to where your faith may be increased by the ordinary means of grace that are spent to you by God himself, where you can meet with the people of God together glorifying Christ. There is no other place on earth where we set aside the secular for the sacred, this is what life of a disciple looks like, giving up everything to follow Jesus. And I want to ask, is this what's going on in your lives? What are we giving up to follow this Jesus? If we believe this is the truth, the one objective truth of all reality, what are we giving up for this truth? Or are we just trying to fit this truth in whenever it seems best for us? Is this truth the overarching plan for our lives? Is this what we center our lives? Is this what we center our families? Is this what we center what we do for the kingdom around this truth, or do we center it upon ourselves? 
What are we willing to give up to follow Jesus? There's hope in the gospel. It's never too late. It's never too late to come to the Savior who gave himself for you. It's never too late to come to the great shepherd of the sheep who says to his flock, I am gentle and lowly. It's never too late to come to this Jesus who stands before the throne of God on your behalf. who takes away the sins of the world. This is the truth that will set you free. This is the truth that gives new life. This is the truth and the only truth of God himself who came to save sinners. And his name is Jesus. And this is the truth that I am convinced of. This is the truth that sent Peter to a crucifixion. This is the truth that sent John to the island of Patmos. The crucified and resurrected Lord. And this is what John continues to say. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them be written... I suppose the whole world itself could not contains, contain the books that would be written. Isn't that an extravagant picture of God's grace for us? If everything would have been written about the mercy and the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ, the world could not contain it. That is how extravagant God's love for you is in Christ. That is the amount of grace that Christ has to cover our shame. That is the love that God had for the world and took upon himself to bear our sins so that we could have new life in him. Amen. Let's pray.